Welcome to another edition of Buckcats brought to you by I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out on Twitter at Mike Silva Media. Send me a note personally at my website, MikeSilvaMedia.com. As always, listen to this show on demand or subscribe in the iTunes store or through whatever RSS feed you desire. Just go to MetsmerizedOnline.com, and there's a dedicated Talking Mets menu option. It'll give you everything you need. Hope everybody's doing well here. Uh, one week down in the baseball season on this Sunday, April 10th. Hope uh, your weekend's going well. Obviously, you had to have a better weekend, a more energetic weekend. Uh, there's a lot of adjectives you could use than what the Mets did, at least on uh, Saturday and Sunday. If you ain't a cesspitus, I think the quote was that the weather yesterday on Saturday night wanted them to make him go to sleep. Believe me, anybody who's been watching the Mets over the last couple of days, if you weren't watching Saturday night and you didn't almost doze off in between, uh, you know, I give you a medal on that. But in all seriousness, uh, uh, only five games, we'll get into that. Uh, you know, not, not, not ready to uh, do Panic City or do uh, Mets therapy on here. We have a fun show for you here today. Howard Altman, uh, who wrote earlier in the week a piece about Matt Harvey and Matt Harvey's relationship with the media and the team, will be joining me. You know, Howard usually doesn't do sports pieces, but he's a big Mets fan. He does a lot of military pieces. But if you didn't check out the New York Observer piece, Matt Harvey versus the New York Press Corps, uh, you should definitely check it out. So Howard will be joining us in just a little bit. Uh, we finally got the Q&A started. So you guys, I mean, I think there's about 65 comments on the thread we put up just this morning. Good thing I was originally going to put the thread up on Friday or Saturday or tell everybody to say, hey, check this out. Send me some comments and questions since we're not doing this live. And sure enough, uh, you guys stepped up. The MetsMarizeOnline.com community stepped up. So if you're listening to this and you're not part of that community, sign up because right now we're going to go on archive here. Like I said, how, how things transpire, you know, maybe we do some kind of shows that are live and maybe we'll take calls, but I kind of like it where I could take a look at some of the questions. And, you know, look, you, like I said, you guys could get critical and, and see what we can discuss. And, and it prepares me a little bit to give you the best answer possible. I don't want this to be like a typical talk radio show where I'm just throwing stuff out because you, you threw me a curveball. Uh, believe me, there's a lot of research. There's things you need to look up to give an educated answer. So I'll be taking those later in the program. Let me start out by just, like I said, this is week one. And if the Mets had won today, I think they'd be on pace for 108 wins, just like their predecessors, the uniforms that they wore had. And because they lost, they're on pace, I think, for 108 losses. And I think everybody would agree that neither one of those scenarios were very realistic. It's very difficult to win 108 games, very difficult to lose 108 games. You have to try really hard. Uh, but in the modern era of tanking, maybe it's a, lot, a little bit easier to lose 108 games than to win 108 games. So there's definitely a lot to take away in terms of concerns over the first week. And even though it's a small sample size, I'll address it. There are some pluses as well. What does surprise me, and it really shouldn't, is that I, I, I flick, flick around. See, I don't just listen to WFAN because I, I just can't. I think the station is, is nowhere near where it used to be. I listen to the MLB network radio. I like to listen to the NBA radio. I try to put Mad Dog radio on. I'll flick to the fan. I try to put ESPN and K and those guys on. So I'll flick around uh, throughout the week. And what, what specifically, maybe not so much because I was listening more on a national basis, but what surprises me and it shouldn't is how, and I'm going to call it the footballization 
of baseball has become, where the first week of the season, they never talk baseball anywhere in the country other than New York, really. New York, Boston, maybe Chicago, some of the hotbeds. It's not really a talk radio mantra. You go down south, they'll talk NASCAR before they talk baseball. But everybody has this football, you know, every game is life or death, 16-game schedule perspective. So they bring it to baseball, and you'll see people say, well, the San Diego Padres haven't uh, scored a run in three games. They're, you know, they're never going to score a run, or you know, they're the worst team in the history of baseball, the worst team I've ever seen. And the Mets beat the Phillies on Friday, and now the Mets were going to win all 19 games against the Phillies. You've got to really look at baseball in this small sample size. And, and, and the Mets are going to go through another stretch where they lose three of five, and they're going to go through another stretch where they don't hit on a weekend. And they're going to go through another stretch where Matt Harvey is pedestrian maybe for a start or two, hopefully not too many. And they're going to go through stretches where they look dominant. The pitching looks dominant. They're hitting on all cylinders. You saw it from August 1st till pretty much the end of the season, maybe till the last week when things cooled down. So you've got to calm down. In the modern baseball world with the two wild cards, you really could find yourself, and you could play with the season. I'm not suggesting that you do this, but you could play with the season – pretty much up until August 1st. I mean, I've advocated, and I think this year the trade deadline because of the leap year is August 1st, I've advocated where the trade deadline should be August 15th now because the two wild cards, July 31st, there are still teams that are around 500, maybe a game under, that may actually be one winning streak away, depending on how things play, from actually being in the playoff hunt. So it's really hard, you know, do you trade off, what goes on? You have to at least give this 50 games. You have to also – I think the part of the problem is is that you still have some of that 2015 hangover going on. I don't know if the team has, but the fans do because every game during that postseason run was intense. So now you're, you're diving back into the monotony of, of the every day-in and day-out game, and I think sometimes you can overreact. I saw a lot of overreaction on Twitter, but that's, that's what Twitter's all about. So. Talk to me in the next 50 games. Let's see how things uh, transpire. Let's not go with the, the hot takes and everything. I think the best quote of the day was from Christy Ackert of the Daily News. You know, the uniforms were, were from 86. The offense was from 1981. Or better yet, the offense pretty much through the first, you know, five games here, they're averaging just a shade under, what is it, about three runs a game they're averaging, maybe a shade under, looks like the first half of last year. And we know who was in the lineup, John Mayberry, Eric Campbell, so on and so forth. So I'm not about to jump off the bridge. Uh, I certainly believe you, nor should you. But I'll say this. Look, concerns, we'll start there. The offense hasn't been good all spring training. They look off. I think part of the problem, and it may even be part of the problem with, with Harvey, is I don't think anybody got into a flow in spring training. I think they tried to get through that camp not to get hurt. That was their philosophy. There was a lot of concerns from this management team and Collins about playing deep into the season into November in the short off season. Look, if that's going to be your concern, then you know, you're going to have to figure out a better process because the goal is to play till November every year, especially when you have this window, this three, four-year window with these pitchers. The goal is to win, to win a championship. It's not to go home uh, September 30th or October 1st. So I think some of that is coming into play where they're just starting to get it into gear. Um, so that, that's definitely the offense has been bad. So I'm not just putting that into a five-game standpoint. That's been bad for weeks, and I think a lot of that is a float. They were a little unlucky today, Sunday. I mean, Cabrera hit a ball that I thought was out. Granderson hit a ball that I thought was out. Duda hit the line drive. 
the opposite way, and the one guy playing on that side of the field, what was it, Galvez, uh, was there. So they were a little unlucky today. But look, they're just not swinging the bats well. They're passive up there. Um, they're sleepy out there. They're not playing with a level of intensity, and I don't know if that has something to do with the bad offense because sometimes it's the chicken or the egg here. But certainly the offense has been a concern for weeks. I think the other concern, and, and you really can't make too much of it yet because he's made some good plays, but I will tell you, you saw it on Friday. David Wright's defense is a problem. And all right, the pop-up took him with the win, but that throw, I mean, think about it. It was, what, a 7-1 game? And Robles, I think, was about, uh, you know, that throw, if I remember correctly, the right error would have been the second out. He was a, but basically a one right throw away from having two outs and nobody on. Error comes to play, Robles gives a couple hits, and there you go. You know, the, the, he's out of the game. I just don't trust David Wright's defense. Yeah, he made a pretty good play on a bunt. You saw some bad plays in Kansas City. I think you're going to be seeing a lot of inconsistencies there. He's never been a great defensive player. The throws have been a problem since his rookie year. Uh, I know he's won gold glove, but sometimes that's a political uh, award as much as it is, or award based on your offense as much as it is your defense. You have a pretty good defensive year, uh, and you had a lot of offense, they're probably going to give you a gold glove at times. So David Wright's defense certainly, to me, is a concern. But overall, the one thing you look at is if this team scores four or five runs, they should win a lot of ball games because on the plus side, the bullpen has been really good. Yeah, Addison Reed didn't look good today. Um, you know, he gave up a run. But Jim Henderson, uh, you know, throwing smoke out of the bullpen, almost like your second closer out there. I know he's come off shoulder issues, so uh, you want to be a little bit careful there, uh, you know, of how much you rely on him day in and day out. You know, Dan Worth and particularly and Terry Collins have historically abused older pitchers to the point where they've, they've run them into the ground. So I think that's something you want to take, you know, certain liberties you want to not take with him. You want to understand the guy's had shoulder problems, but he's looked good, and that lengthens the bullpen. You have a couple of lefties, Bastardo and Blevins, who should be able to give you plenty of opportunities to match up lefties in the, in the division. So guys like Ryan Howard and Bryce Harper and so on and so forth don't necessarily become, well, I have to wait for that right moment to bring in my one lefty. Uh, you know, Familia is Familia, so I really can't go, you know, go nutty over there. I mean, you know, yeah, he was a little shaky last night, but the bullpen looks light years better than it has uh, at, at any point. Uh, I cannot, I cannot complain about it. Cologne, great outing. Uh, I know Harvey's been pedestrian, but even the Grom before, uh, you know, his lat gave out, uh, you know, w- w- was looking good. And I'll tell you the one thing, and yeah, I mean, the Grom, I guess, would fall into the concerns category because you want to give him some rest all things considered the grom should probably probably just rest his, uh, his his sore muscle go have his baby clear his head come back and get ready to pitch uh, you know a lot on his mind you know i'm sure this is a stressful time you know he's having his first kid you know he's, you know he's got a little bit of barking going on probably the best thing was to skip wednesday wednesday start and put Verrett in there if they want to go Gilmartin. I don't know how they're going to go, but I guess you put that into concern. I'm not ready to push the panic button. Anytime you hear sore lat and, and Mets young pitcher being hurt, you definitely want to put that into concern. But I'm not ready to throw that into a long-range concern. More the offense and right defense I put in and things I'm, I'm watching. But I'll tell you the one big positive that I think you have to take away, and that's the defense up the middle. It is so much better from Murphy Flores. Flores is not a shortstop. And I'm not saying Cabrera is Ozzie Smith, but he positions himself well, and most importantly, he just makes the play. 
the problem with Flores was he had long arm action and his footwork was kind of odd. So he didn't really make all the routine plays and that extended innings. I think Walker is a much headier ball player than Daniel Murphy. Is he as good of a hitter? Let's see. Daniel Murphy's off to a great start in Washington. And we saw a different Daniel Murphy offensively in the second half last year. But I'm not sure Daniel Murphy is the player offensively that you saw in the second half. And his baseball instincts, not only in the field uh, at second base, but his instincts sometimes on, on, on the base pads. Uh, and even his decision-making when it came to throws and whatnot, that, that, um, you know, that remains to be, you know, has a lot to be desired. So I think the defense up the middle is something that will help them. They're turning double plays. They're making I know this is something you're like, hey, this is a team that's playing for a championship, but they're making the plays that they should make. And to me, that's what you need up the middle. That was what was lacking last year. And they were very fortunate to make it to the World Series with that situation. Now, a lot of that had to do, you had a tremendous amount of strikeouts on this staff, and you should continue to have a tremendous amount of strikeouts on the staff. But you know what? You want guys to go deep seven, eight, maybe nine innings, heaven forbid, you got to get a couple of ground ball double plays. You can't strike out 15 and only keep people to 100, 110 pitches. It's just not going to happen. So let's not get crazy. Only, uh, you know, five games, a lot of baseball left to play. Those are some early observations. After week one, you know, Mets play the Marlins this week. They go to Cleveland. It'll probably be minus, you know, 30 below zero. And one last thing before we take a break and get to Howard Altman. Could, could, we, could we not schedule night games with sub-30 you know, it looks like it was like 30 below zero yesterday. It looks like they were playing in the Arctic. Why don't we just have games on Christmas Day? Which, by the way, this year it was 70 degrees on Christmas Day. You probably had a better op- opportunity to hit the ball than you did last night at City Field. So, I mean, it just, it just drives me nuts. But anyway, let me take a break. When we return, Howard Altman, New York Observer article, Matt Harvey versus the New York Press Corps. Uh, I want to get his take on meeting Harvey, you know, a complicated guy a guy that's been certainly a polarizing figure, maybe the A-Rod from a personality standpoint of the Mets. Let's hear his thoughts after meeting Matt Harvey. We'll go through that later on. We'll take your questions from the uh, Metsmorize Online community. Of course, of course, go to MetsmorizeOnline.com. If you sign up uh, to leave comments, uh, every weekend there'll be a thread, uh, which I'll, I'll, I'll start to tweet out uh, at Mike Silver Media there, shameless plug, and you guys could, um, could send me some comments but I'll read on the air. I, I, I try to get to everything, but uh, we do want to keep this show to about no more than 45 minutes. So uh, keep that in mind. I'll try to pick out the best and, and certainly try to get to everybody. So let's t- take a quick break. Uh, when we return, Howard Altman of uh, the New York Observer. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Check it out on replay at Metsmorize Online. Uh, I'm your host, Mike Silva. We'll be back with Howard Altman of the New York Observer right after this. Put him away, pitch. Oh, two. He struck him out. Big strikeout for Noah Syndergaard. Third time today he's worked himself out of a king-size jam. And the Royals leave him him loaded in the sixth inning. The 2016 season is in full swing, and you don't want to miss a beat. You know what else you don't want to miss? Me, Mike Silva, host of the Talking Mets podcast every week. Check it out and subscribe at MetsmorizedOnline.com. We're back, Mike Silva, talking Mets on MetsmerizedOnline.com, and I am joined by Howard Altman. Howard is an award-winning journalist. You can check him out at his website, HowardAltman.me. And if you haven't read it yet, you really should in the New York Observer. 
Matt Harvey brushes back the New York Press Corps. That's a great piece that came out earlier this week. Howard, welcome to the program. You know, I thought Matt Harvey was on a media boycott, so good job uh, in getting this piece, and good job getting Matt Harvey to speak to you. Well, thanks. I appreciate it, and and, uh, great talk and mess with you guys. This interview happened actually um, before probably, oh, I think March 10th. So this is this is well before the boycott, um, when we had a chance to sit down and, and chat at uh, Tradition Field in Port St. Lucie. And he's a very interesting guy, Matt Harvey. You know he is, and I I I know you and I had went back and forth over email, and I did take away many things, maybe a little bit of a different perception about Harvey. What did you learn about Matt Harvey? Did you did you did it change your perception about him? I know a little bit about him. I've 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 been friendly with a, a couple of his teammates, so I know some not so great things about him. But um, you know, to me, uh, I was wondering what your take was. Well, you know, it's really interesting when when I got the assignment. Uh, you know, I didn't tell my editor this, but it was a little it was a little daunting because so much has been written about Matt Harvey that you know what can I what can I actually say that's new. Um, I, you know, I have no idea. I, I cover the Mets just very rarely. I did a piece on DeGrom last year for the Observer and then this piece. So I usually cover the military. It's a very different world. So I, I really wasn't sure what to expect. You know, obviously there's so much written about Matt Harvey going out with supermodels and Matt Harvey, you know, uh, being out and about. And the thing, when I sat down and talked to him, I said, look, you're just 27. When I was 27, Man, I'm glad they didn't have Facebook and Twitter and social media. I'd probably never have a job anywhere. Um, so I think the guy's really a, you know, he is a smart guy. He's a very competitive guy, obviously. And, you know, I get a sense that he was very sensitive. Like, you know, we talked about the uh, Players Tribune and we talked about joining the union. And he was motivated, you know, in both cases to, uh, as a way to sort of express his. Uh, point of view to to stand up to the players to stand up against you know ownership um, to stand up in, in a lot of ways against the media as, as he talked in the piece you know he felt that at times some of his words were twisted around and that you know some people are jealous about his success and you know I, like I said I'm not around it every day uh, I you know it's it's a tough life being a, a sports writer i'm sure you know every day if you're you know, in the locker and waiting for these guys to come out and you know give you a few minutes of their time and usually often saying the same kind of stuff it's a that's a tough way it's a tough way to make a living i got a lot of respect for you guys that do this all the time it, it, it can, it, sure it can it can be mundane you know it's interesting you said uh sensitive that's exactly what i took away you even mentioned that I guess it was Ken Davidoff of the New York Post had written something last year, I guess after the whole innings limit thing. I have a feeling Harvey takes names, remembers, and if you've, you've done him wrong in his mind, he's got a long memory. He's not going to forget. Now, you know, in the story, as, and I, I pointed out, that he wasn't, I mean, he did not talk about any specific, you know, instances. I just kind of wanted to illustrate some of the coverage that he's gotten. Harvey didn't mention any names, didn't name any sports writers. Uh, so I, I really don't know if he has a, a list and, you know, if he, if he you know, the, the, I, I got to tell you, it was really interesting the whole way this, this thing came about. Um, he has his own personal uh, pu- public relations 
person and the the paper set it up with her and then when i called uh jay jay horowitz to get credentials he kind of wasn't too happy because he didn't even know um and yeah jay's a great guy as you know and he's you know, he's very, always been very, very kind and helpful to me. He's protective. Um, he's protective of the he's place, own, that's, I mean, his, that's his job. So, and, but, he, but he also, you know, he he grants access. I mean, I got, you know, I got 45 minutes, almost an hour with, with Matt and, you know, the ramp up of spring training. You know, it's right after his first outing of the spring. But it was an, it was this interesting situation, and I tried to reach out to Harvey's dad, and that almost ended with the it almost ended the interview um, because you know I'm a, as a reporter I, I reach out to people I usually cover the military, and there are times when you know something bad has happened to somebody, and you know, I remember one time calling a family, and they were on the flight line at Dover Air Force Base waiting for their son to come home in a, in a flag day coffin, and they were kind enough to. You know, give me some time. So that, that's my mindset. And so, you know, I wanted to know a little bit about Matt Harvey as a person and what he was like growing up. So I reached out to his dad. And you know, plus, I coached baseball. I coached my kids, and so I wanted to chat about that. And it didn't. That didn't really go over too well. <laughs> was, yeah. With with was, Matt or the father, or the, or both. I think both, and then, and, and, you know, right. like I said, it almost blew the interview. Um, wow. But, and I explained to the woman, look, this is the way I, I, I'm a, I cover the military, and I'm not usually used to to whatever the ground rules were, and I apologize. You know, it, it came out, and he was, you know, he's very gracious. I mean, he was very gracious during the time. It was, I thought it was an interesting discussion, and, and he was pretty frank. Um, I was really, I was actually, you know, I was happy with the way it turned out. You're, 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 at the end of the piece, there's a great line uh, about Harvey holding something in too long. Obviously, a, a reference to uh, you know holding in his urine because of the whole bladder situation. But you talk about resentment, and I'm wondering if you could expand on that because you know is there resentment just about this incident? Is there something bigger because there's a feeling that the team is only renting him because of how much money he'll command? Um, is it oh, the media I attention? Have... What? I'm wondering about. I, that. I think it's a it's a resentment towards the way he's portrayed and then the way he's you know uh, publicized. Um, I have no idea what his relationship is like with with the team. I, I really I'm not around it enough to to really know. I know and the, I mean speaking about that point, he knows that this is a business. He knows he's a very savvy. You know this is a very savvy guy. Uh, he knows that. And I mentioned the piece of this. He could be he could be gone. Um, you know, next year as the Mets, and rightly so. I mean, look at what they could get for him with with several years of team control left. They could get quite a, a haul for Matt Harvey, so it might make sense on, you know, uh, for for the Mets to trade him at some point. Um, I think I mean, with the resentment part was, you know, he was holding in this, you know, resentment. He, he wouldn't talk to the media after the whole bladder thing. Look, I, if I never had to write the words Matt Harvey and bladder in the same sentence in the same paragraph in the same story again, it'll it'll been a good life, um, you know. And I can't, you know, blame him for, you know, getting. You know, upset. But look, this is New York. You get upset, people are going to jump on you, and it's going to be a feeding frenzy. And you know, um, and I wasn't there in the locker room when you know he didn't talk, and I don't know. You know, I really don't know the relationship he has with the the beat writers, or you know, I'm kind of an interloper when I go down to spring training. I'm the, I'm the guy that comes in, parachutes in for a couple of days, and tries to soak up as much as I can. Uh, I don't. I don't blame you, especially in the warm of. Port St. Lucie. Uh, joining me is Howard Altman. He uh, wrote a great piece in the New York Observer. 
uh, about Matt Harvey. One of the things I've been thinking about, I don't want to say Mets fans dislike Matt Harvey, um, but I also don't feel that there's the love for him maybe that some of the other pitchers get. And, you know, even other superstars at his level in, in team history, you know, David Wright, Mike Piazza. And I wonder if it's because Matt Harvey, and it goes back to maybe the perception that's been built, that he's aided uh, quite a bit. He's not that blue-collar superstar. See, the, the Mets fan is not like the Yankees fan. They don't want the page six guy. They like the page six production, but they don't want what comes with that in the modern world. And, you know, Piazza was a page six guy, but he was blue-collar in a lot of ways. And, uh, you know, a religious guy, you know, uh, from a, a pretty blue-collar family that made a lot of money. David Wright, a very wealthy guy, but, again, from a pretty blue-collar background. His father's a police officer. Matt Harvey comes across metropolitan, shall I say. And I wonder if that's where – at times, there may be a little bit of arm's length relationship between the fans and, and Harvey himself. I don't know. I think Met fans look. You know, I'm a, I'm a Met fan for longer than I care remember. Probably since you know, right around this, the time the team came into existence in '62. Just date myself a little bit there, but you know, I, I think if there is a disconnect, the disconnect has more to do with uh, you know. Um, Matt seeming persona is the 24-1 guy. Um, and I don't know that that's necessarily you know an accurate persona. You know, I did talk to some of his uh, people who knew him back in the day, which just didn't have any space for. He was never he was never like the team leader rah rah guy. He was he was a guy that would go in there and get the job done, and the guy you could count on to win the big game. But you know, it's just not the, the, the team rah rah guy. Just not his style. And, and that shouldn't be a criticism. It's not. I mean, not everybody can can sort of be that guy. Uh, so I don't think that should be a knock on Harvey. You know, as long as the guy goes out there every fifth day and and he gives you a, a better than you know even chance of winning. Uh, but I think some of the you know some of the, um, the things that he does contributes to this, and then you know complaining about it, and then you know I'm out in the public, and but I don't want to be out in the public, and you know that kind of thing. I think that you know Met fans may not necessarily uh, connect with, and and the um, the innings limit thing was probably badly handled you know, all sides. Uh, it's just one thing we talked about, Matt. That, that you know, it was a misunderstanding, and 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 then it got ahead of itself without enough information. Look, the guy, you know, he's, he, this is his life. This is his livelihood. Um, and on that side, you got to look. This guy's got a career. We could be making thirty plus million dollars. On the other side of the coin, it's a it's a pennant race, and the Mets are in the position where they were a little surprised. At least the fans are surprised that the Mets were doing quite as well as they did. And I think that kind of fed into it again. It's a twenty four plus one uh, thing that doesn't play over well at City Field. And you know, the other thing you got to remember about Mets fans is that we have we have hate. We hate the Yankees, you know. For so long, we had no success, uh, the Mets fans. And so, you know, there's a there's a sense that we're going to just hate something. And I think Matt's a, a lightning rod for a lot of that, um, you know, negative energy that surrounds uh, the fans of the New York Metropolitan Baseball Club. Inc. And you brought up the million-dollar uh, question, too, about uh, everyone figures, hey, Matt, if you're still at the Mets, and you become a free agent. You're just going to go across town. He grew up in Connecticut. Uh, he just seems, like I said before, more Yankees. Uh, he always answers it, well, I'm a Met now. And there's always that speculation. And, and Matt, look, he's trained. He's a Boris client. He knows how to be polished. He knows how to handle the media. 
when you brought up the whole Yankees thing, did you did you sense sincerity in that in in that response? Did you get a feeling that uh, you were just getting the lip service? Is there an actual you know, hey, I'm here. I like being part of the Mets. You know, did you get any sense I, I, from that? I, yeah, I did. I, I think he does like being a part of the Mets. I think he he probably likes you know beating the Yankees. Um, you know, we tried, this didn't get in. The, you know, there's so much that didn't get in. He, you know, he when he was young, he would go in with, into town to the to the Mayor's Trophy games. You know, back back in those days, and uh, into into the subway into the subway series games, and um, you know he so he grew up. Uh, he was a, a Yankee fan. Everybody I talked to that knew him said he was a, a staunch Yankee fan. But he said, you know, he was, you know, he had some familiarity with the Mets, and um, so yeah, I get the sense that he's, you know, he's happy to be with the Mets while he's here. He's a, he's a pro. He wants to win, you know, wherever he is. I, I, I don't doubt his sincerity about, you know, wanting to to win. This guy's very competitive, and always has been. He's always been the big game guy. You know, since he walked into his 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 dad was a coach at, at Fitch High School, and he came in to a locker room with which was a pretty good team. I mean, it was a, it was an excellent team before he got there, and he was a young kid that came in. He was a, you know, a freshman with all these uh, older uh, players, and you know, he eventually made a, an impression, and he eventually became you know the go-to guy there, and it's been that way ever since. You know, as we wrap up here, um, you said there's a lot of stuff that didn't make it into the piece, and I'm wondering. Anything that, you know, really, you know, you would have liked to get in there, something interesting, something, uh, leave, I guess, the listeners a little idea of, you know, maybe something they didn't know about Matt Harvey or an interesting story, anecdote, whatever, that you just couldn't that's get a, into the flow of the piece. Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we talked about, um, you know, Game 5, and I, I thought that was, you know, fairly covered. For me, it was, it was interesting because, it's so, you know, I like history, and it's always interesting to talk to somebody with, with that kind of a historic moment. You know, he talked about how, you know, he wanted to get out there. He thought he could do it. He had supreme confidence. And, you know, he talked about how they didn't watch the, the Royals celebrate. And, you know, uh, but I think a lot of that was covered. Hey, one day, you know, he, we, we expanded more. He wants, he wants to open up a restaurant. Maybe he likes to host people. He's a real uh, family guy. His, his family's Italian. Uh, his, his maternal family's from Rome. So he wants to have sort of a, a Roman kind of a, a menu. You know, we talked about what he liked to cook, uh, you know, some pasta stuff, some uh, chicken parm and lasagna. And he used to be the grill master for, um, you know, in his college. He talked a little bit about, you know, fashion. We talked we talked a bunch about fashion. You know, I kind of joked around, would you ever have a clothing line? You know, he said, no. And I said, well, what would it be? And he said, you know, suits. He, he likes suits. Um, you know, there's so much, like I said, there's so much that's known about, about Matt, I kind of put in. I try to put in the stuff that was was less known, and I hope it came across. You know, I yeah, I came across a likable guy. You know, um, that uh, has a lot of talent and is under you know a lot of pressure. And again, the other thing I really remember: this guy's 27. He's living in the city that he loves, and and and, and taking part in that in that life. That you know, going to clubs, going to restaurants, going to you know. Sporting events and cultural events, you know, front row seats. He's a Fashion Week ambassador. Uh, you know, living living a good life, and he's not. You know, the other thing you got to remember, he's not really uh, getting in bar fights. He's not. You know, he's not winding up in jail. He's not winding up on you know, on drugs. You know, I think that is something that people you know, one takeaway is that really, you know, at 27, 
in the spotlight in this city where, where so much could go wrong. He really isn't. I mean, all this stuff is really silliness, you know, dating supermodels and, you know, he, he can't go to the bathroom. And, and, you know, I mean, when you when you think about it, it all really is silliness. None of the stuff that he's really done has been uh, illegal, egregious. And then I think, you know, maybe the fans should probably, and, and I hope that they get a sense of that from the story, that maybe the fans should kind of remember it. But then again, this guy's, you know, he's also cocky, very, you know, uh, competent, and he's making a ton of money, and he's, you know, he, he gets himself into some of the situations that wind up in the back pages of the paper or page six or wherever. Yeah, I mean, look, ego is part of being great. That's what makes these players great. I mean, Derek Jeter had a you big have ego. To. And and I you have to and I love the fact that you asked him if he ever had his heart broken. He's like, well, I probably did. I just can't remember. That tells me it did, but he doesn't want to admit it. But of I mean, course the not. makes these guys great. It's and and that and that's a hard thing I think for the average fan. And again, I go back to it. I mean, Howard. I mean, the Met fan is very blue collar. It's a good thing. It makes their culture great. But you want to be great. You want to be at the top of the the food chain. You're gonna have great players. Ego comes with it. You're not gonna identify with some of these guys. The money and the gap is just just way too wide at this point in time. It's way too wide, and you also got to remember it's not just it's just not just ego. It's confidence. If you are not confident, you are not going to succeed, especially you know in New York and especially in city in city field. It's it's much harder. Very few, uh, as you know, very few free agents have really succeeded with the Mets, um, partly because. Met fans are, are tough. You know, Yankee fans are are obnoxious Yankee fans, but Met fans will will just you know there's so much built up anger and hatred from being the the you know the, the second class citizens of New York. And you know my background, my great uncle played for the New York Giants, Sid Gordon, and so I've got you know history of you know nationally. Um, baseball in my blood, and so I was doomed to be a Mets fan. Um, you know, I had some interesting moments over the years, but I think Mets fans feel, you know, sort of they got a chip on their shoulder because they're not the Yankees. You know, I, I live down here in Tampa, and I drive by the, uh, the, you know, the Tampa Yankees, and they had the big wall with the 27 World Series, and yeah, okay, I get that 27 World Series. Let's see the Mets. Oh, uh, two, okay. <laughs> the big, hey, it's Sid Gordon, big gap not, a, there. not a bad hitter. Not a bad hitter, Sid What's that? Gordon. I just no, Sid it. Gordon was, just, was quite a good hitter. All star, good MVP, hitter. top five. Yeah, good player. He was, yeah, and he was, uh, you know, he he like 400 on base percentage before that was even really a thing that people pay attention to. He's a good fielder. Um, so, yeah, it's good. So, I think, you know, as much as the sort of blue collar gap, it's also. It's also that that success gap. We're we're the Mets, we're not the Yankees. And so you look at somebody enough with those twenty seven World Series and all the, you know, and you just get sick of it and you just get sick of hearing it and, you know, so it builds up an internal bitterness. And sometimes it that bile spills out onto guys like like Harvey, who, you know, sort of are lightning rod for it in, in part because, you know, some of the stuff that they do. Hey, so you go from the silliness to. Some of your other work, I do want to have the listeners, because they may be interested in it, know what else you do, um, howardeltman.me. You know, obviously, military, that's that's a bulk of what you do. Anything you want to promote, let them know about, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I do. I've, I've been in Afghanistan. I do a lot of stuff about, you know, um, men and women who've come back, uh, you know, 
injured injuries that are seen and unseen. And I really found a real dichotomy between, you know, the, the 27 year old who finds uh, him or herself, you know, in a, in a MRAP in, in uh, you know, either uh, Kandahar or, uh, you know, well, now they're, they're in the command centers in Iraq, but, you know, someplace in Iraq uh, and then the 27 year old ball player, um, and you know, here's here's a story that that I didn't get to tell about Matt, um, and this is kind of nice. He's, one of his best friends, his catcher, uh, is stationed in uh, over in Kuwait, and he's telling me a story about how he was in, I think he was in Afghanistan at one point. One of his colonels, or lieutenant colonel, was was uh, you know wearing a he was a Mets fan, and and this this kid who doesn't really you know bring it up much said hey i know matt harvey and matt harvey wound up sending him a mets jersey you know so that's kind of a, I, you know i don't think people really know that about matt um, but some of the stuff that i do you know i write about we have uh, two big commands here u.s central command which uh, oversees all the war efforts in in the middle east we have u.s special operations command which you know, provides commandos for uh, to fight the battles, and we have a command that's in charge of the commandos. So we got a lot of, you know, military leadership here in, in that I cover, and so you know, this is a nice change of pace to go down and and be paid to watch baseball and talk about baseball, and it's not life and death, and it's not people getting killed and you know mass destruction or you know billions of dollars spent. It's, it was it was definitely a nice change of pace. Hey, listen, you were generous with your time tonight. Thanks so much. Uh, great work. Hey, and let's, let's catch up again. Let's, you know, yeah, if you're a Mets fan and you want to talk, we'll do it again. Hey, I appreciate next it. Time, uh, next, next time you could d- dissect David Wright for us, because I'm sure that'll be a, the next thing that the, the fans will want to talk about. You know, about. David, so, I've only known him a little bit. You know, not really much. He's a couple times in the locker room. Seems like a great guy, really, you know, class act. And, 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 and it's not an act. Uh, he's, a, he's just a solid, he's a solid, solid dude. Hey, have a great evening, Howard, and uh, appreciate hey, it. Let's, let's talk soon. Take care. Have Thanks a great night. Thanks much. Take care. Bye-bye. And that's Howard Altman, howardaltman.me. Check out the New York Observer piece. Matt Harvey brushes back the New York Press Corps. We're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll be right back. Oh, boy. Well, Temple's got four hits, and Dibble drills him. There's no doubt that that's an intentional ball inside. You can't convince me of anything other than that. Uh, he threw it on purpose. Can't we all just get along? Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of Talking Mets. Yeah, I know, we're not always going to agree. But at least hear me give you an unbiased and passionate opinion of the latest happenings with Mets baseball. Guests will include beat writers, journalists, influential bloggers, as well as former and current players. I promise you, you're never going to know who's going to show up. Check out the latest shows and archive at MetsmerizedOnline.com. Everybody's enjoying uh, the show this week. That was Howard Altman of The Observer. Interesting comments there from Howard 
having a chance to uh, meet Matt Harvey. Almost blew up the interview trying to uh, get in touch with Harvey's family. So you don't want to do that in today's uh, day and age of, uh, of media. You know, you want to you want to keep it uh, you want to keep it to uh, keep it to what in uh, your interview is scheduled to be. So. Anyway, uh wanted to get to wrap up here. I wanted to get to some of the um the questions that you guys had and, and there was so many of them, so I, I'm I'm really uh really happy to see that and I appreciate it. And I'm gonna probably paraphrase some of what you guys wrote. I'll try to put your handles out there and I'll try to give you my thoughts on things and like I said, we'll do probably about ten minutes of this. And I'd like to do this every week. I think it's it's a good way to, to get some mental bubble gum when it comes to the Mets and, and give you some of my thoughts on how things uh, on how things work around here, how my, I believe things should work around here. So, anyway, uh, L. Randall, uh, here's the first co- comment here. Uh, Mike, we'll talk about Warpin's slider and how hard and effectively Syndergaard is throwing it. I can't help recall Harvey's heavy dependence on it and the speculation afterwards that it may have significantly contributed to his injury and subsequent Tommy John surgery. What concerns do you have about Syndergaard throwing it and throwing it so hard? Uh, great question, and I'll tell you what. Uh, we're trying to get in a couple of weeks Jeff Passan on the program. He just wrote a book called The Arm, which he essentially just dived into the Tommy John surgery and arm issue and made a book out of it. And I'm about two-thirds of the way through it. I've been reading it over on and off for about a month. And I could tell you two-thirds of the way through it, I don't think anybody knows what the heck is going on um, when it comes to how to protect players' arms. You saw the uh, the Dodger game on Friday, and you know the, the kid's throwing a no hitter, and they take him out after 100 pitches. And I just say to myself, how do we know that pitch 101, 105, 110, 120 is actually going to hurt the player? Everybody talks about Johan Santana's career ending after the no hitter. Johan Santana went on the following week, I think, to throw a shutout, or it was you know it wasn't until uh, a couple of weeks later. And let me tell you, Johan Santana's shoulder. And his, his mechanics were poor. It was a ticking time bomb. So whether he threw that no-hitter or not, he was going to break down. So why not let the guy have his moment? And to answer your question, L. Randall, I think, yeah, there's concern. I think there's always going to be concern with players who throw hard. I don't particularly think Dan Walton is a good pitching coach. I think he's sitting on a, an oil field. We never give the Saudis credit for being brilliant because they make all this money on pumping oil. They just happen to be born on an oil field. Dan Worthen happened to inherit a lot of pitching. Anytime he's had uh, a chance to make something, you know, lemonade out of lemons, he hasn't done very well. Uh, you know, I don't think they managed the bullpen very well. I think they've burnt out veteran pitchers like Tim Burdak and uh, Pedro Feliciano come to mind. Carlos Torres, I think, was burnt out because of overusage. So, you know, I said it earlier about Jim Henderson. That's something to think about. Uh, but, yeah, there's concern. I don't think there's anything you can do about it. All you can do is hope that the guy's got good mechanics, he, he, he maintains those mechanics, you try to keep an eye on whether or not his arm angles and his slots and whatever it looks like that he's getting tired, um, you know, that, that that's maintained. And all you can do is, is go, do the best you can with it. I, I think Tommy John's surgery and arm problems are ultimately inevitable. I thought they were inevitable with Zach Wheeler. I don't think there's anything that Warping could have done about it because Zach Wheeler has bad mechanics. I mean, his arm drags, and I think they've worked on that a little bit. Let's see what happens when he returns. But it is a concern, but how can you tell a guy throwing a 94-mile-an-hour slider not to do it? Maybe, and it goes back to what I said earlier, you've got to look at lineups and say, okay, do I need to do it here? Uh, you take that uh, weapon and you use it when you really need it, like he did uh, with the bases loaded against Kansas City, and you heard that, that replay 
uh, you know, earlier in the program when I did that uh, that clip. So, you know, hopefully that's kind of goes through it. Yeah, I share your concerns, but I, like I said, I'm reading a book about somebody, Jeff Patton, who basically did everything he can to, you know, he sat in a Tommy John surgery. And so far, my takeaway is I don't think anybody knows. There's no, there's, there's no thesis here. Nobody knows why someone's arm goes kablooey. Salty Gary, did the Mets do themselves a disservice by not bringing back a guy like Uribe as right insurance? Uh, yes. You know, he's making about $4 million. Uh, I see the Eric Campbell spot is one that could have went to Uribe. I guess what they thought was that they have Cabrera now playing short. Flores now is going to need some time, and you really don't have um, a need for Uribe. See, Uribe didn't want to play first base, and so Flores could play third and first. And I guess that's kind of where they went, where Flores is taking the Uribe position. But I still think Uribe, from a clubhouse perspective, from a leadership perspective, and I really think he was a better defensive third baseman than David Wright at this point. I think Flores, I'd have to see a little bit more of him, probably is somebody that uh, could play better D than Wright. And I keep saying it, and I said it earlier, I think you're going to need to start thinking about if David Wright is this kind of defensive player, you know, in a big spot, you might want to take him out and put somebody else in. So, you know, that's something to uh, uh, to consider. Um, yes, I do agree, Salty Gary. I think they should have done that. I think Uribe going into today's game was one for 14 in Cleveland. So maybe it's not just the Mets that aren't hitting. Maybe anybody who played for the 2015 Mets uh, are not hitting. So get a life 2K9. And what's funny about this handle is that they have that guy – Chris, uh, what was his name? Was it Chris Peterson? The show Get a Life. He has that guy, the newspaper guy that, um, geez, I can't remember that actor's name, but he was in uh, something about Mary, I believe, as well. I can't remember the guy's name, but Get a Life 2K9, great handle. Uh, it was a funny show back in the 80s. And his quote is, or question, or comment is Is there a team approach to hitting the Mets or trying to employ? There doesn't seem to be any type of situational hitting. For example, due to taking fastball down the middle with two outs and a runner in scoring position, guys swinging at the first or second pitch down by a run in the bottom of the ninth, Cespedes swinging as hard as he can regardless of the situation. Are they working on something or going to be working on something, or is it really every batter for himself and just hope for a big hit or home run? Well, I've, I have known a lot of people who have dealt, you know, covered Kevin Long and really believe a lot in what Kevin Long brings to the, the table. I mean, at one point, Alex Rodriguez back in uh, 2007, you know, couldn't talk enough about him. And this is right after A-Rod, who's an MVP, was struggling in the playoffs and, and really needed a, a mental coach or a habit to kind of work with him. I know the Yankees fired him. But the Yankees fired him after a year they couldn't hit because they just didn't have very good players. Uh, I do think the Mets' organizational philosophy is to work counts. I do think the hitters have had it drained into them. Duda is a great example of, of, of working account, and sometimes you get it passive. I thought they were a combination of exactly what you said, a little aggressive in the wrong spot and overly passive in some spots. As far as Cespedes swinging as hard as he can, look, you get what you get with Cespedes. He's going to be a guy that's going to say things that are kind of wacky. Uh, I think he's going to take mental breaks throughout the season. Um, I think you get what you get with him. He's a star. He's a guy that's going to provide you power. Look, you're not even in the game today if not for the Cespedes home run. That's why he's there. Here's your big bopper. You're not going to change Cespedes. He was, he, this is not the guy Sandy Alderson wanted. You know, they wanted Justin Upton. They wanted uh, Jay Bruce. They wanted somebody a little bit more on-base savvy. Cespedes is a slugger. You know, the old saying, I think it was Vlad Guerrero used to say, it, walk off the island. Well, Cespedes didn't walk off the uh, – he 
the island of Cuba and come here. You know, they go swinging. So um, I think that they're overly passive. I think that you have a great co- quote on that, a comment. I think it's something that's been going on for a while. When this team is on, they're, they're the right combination of working the count and getting after it. Right now, they're a lot of whack. And I, again, I, all I could say is I just think that they had a very uneven spring, and I think a part of that has to do with I don't think they played a heck of a lot. I think guys got in, got a couple of reps, and you know, it was more about keeping them healthy. Show, so I, I think that that um, uh, you know comes into play. Bale for nails. Here's a concern: the Phillies overshifted on four. The lefties in the lineup. No one even attempted to bunt. You think the Mets have not practiced bunting since 2010? Um, uh, you know, you want to try to bunt to keep someone honest. I mean, and he, this guy goes into the same thing about you know, pitches down the middle and them staring at it. I mean, Duda keeps coming up and Cespedes and things like that. Look, I'm not a big on, hey, if you're shifting bunt, this is the way the game is played now. I would say go the other way, like Duda tried to do in the ninth inning. And it just didn't work out. Go the other way. Uh, it's also difficult when you're up there. You're facing some major league pitchers who are throwing really hard. They're throwing with some bite. They're, they're changing speed. You have to have, you know, a millisecond to make a decision. But... um you also don't want to change Duda into an opposite field hitter. I think it was, what was it, 2009, their first year in City Field, where they, the Mets started to do that wacky um, uh, exercise where they just hit the other way, and people were blaming it on them having a lack of power. So I don't know. But uh, I think that sometimes we get a little crazy with the bunting. If you want to do it to keep the, the defense honest, so be it. But if I'm the defense, the, the answer is a Lucas Duda bunt single instead of a home run put it in my pocket and go to the next guy because the bun single, obviously depending on the situation, would run is on base and the shift is not as pronounced sometimes so they have to keep the base runners honest. Uh, Given the bun single, you want Lucas Duda driving and runs, you want him hitting for power, you want him hitting the gap. So, um, you know, that's it. Ice Cold Beardshine writes, the Mets seem to be really stubborn with their lineup, whether it's by front office or by the manager. I think it's more than likely that this is due to the team's commitment to sabermetrics in getting the most out of their players. How long do you think is the leash for some of these players? And do you envision Granderson and Wright being put in straight platoons with Lagares and Flores, respectively? Also, what if Cespedes struggles? Do you see the Mets moving up hot hands in the lineup? To answer your question on Granderson platoon, I think that depends on Conforto and how he hits. If Conforto really breaks out and, um, and really you know, turns into the offensive player a lot of people think, I think it's going to be hard to put him on the bench. Um, then you would see Lagares take over. I guess they would put Lagares in center. Maybe they move Cespedes to right or, or, or uh, Conforto to right and put Cespedes in left. I don't know how they would do that. Collins is stubborn with veterans. I mean, Bobby Parnell probably would still be pitching the seventh inning if he's still on the roster. So to me, that gets a little bit tricky. I don't know exactly how he's going to play that. As far as platooning David Wright, uh, unless David Wright just breaks down. I just don't think Terry would have the, the, for lack of a better word, the cajones to do it. I mean, I just don't, I don't see him doing it. I mean, he's the captain. I just don't see him doing it. So um, it's something to keep a look. It's too early. Calm down, five games. But Granderson doesn't hit lefties, and that was one of the knocks on him when he came over from the Tigers to the Yankees. And they, you know, Kevin Long worked on it. He got a lot better at it, and he's regressed uh, as a member of the Mets. Jay Green, should we panic about DeGrom? Uh, like I said earlier, no. Let him have his baby. Let him go away and, 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 and have his kid and get his arm, you know, rest his, his sore muscles. If they start sending for MRIs and he has a tear, then, then be worried. Um, 
That's from Jay Green. Doubleday writes, concern, on the days that David Wright doesn't start, he isn't available to pinch hit. Uh, it basically renders the Mets one bench player short. Absolutely. Um, I've always said the Major League Baseball should try to see if they can do a taxi squad. That's tricky because if your team is in Vegas, how do you do taxi squad? You basically have to pay an extra couple of players to stay at the hotel. But it would be interesting if Major League Baseball could expand the roster by one or two. And I know it won't happen in the collective bargaining because what's going to be the case is it's just going to increase insurance costs, and the owners don't want to add that cost to their uh, bottom line. But you have a, a taxi squad, and just like the NBA where you get to dress a certain amount of people, if David Wright isn't going to play that night, send him to the hotel, let him watch the game on TV, or you can sit on a bench. I don't know if the taxi squad, you probably, the NBA, they let you sit behind a bench. But um, and let you know somebody who could play and and you know but yeah it's a concern because you're one player short and um, you know if you read the men's fitness article about Wright's uh, regiment I think uh, you could see how much he has to put in just to get on a field I wonder how he's going to be able to even be effective sitting on the bench especially now in this cold weather for you know three hours so there was a lot of talk and I don't want to I can't give everybody's name out about you know it seems like they're already tired of Collins and. The Wally Backman, uh, you know, in this thread, the Wally Backman uh, comments started to to come out. I don't think Wally Backman, it's in the cards from being the Mets manager. I've heard good things about Wally down in, in Vegas. I've heard not so good things. Um, I know Wally's past has been a problem. I know um, he's been a good citizen. As He's been working for the Mets now for about five years since he was in Brooklyn back in 2010. And he continues to work for the Mets. I just don't know if they trust Wally with the big league lifestyle to not have some kind of off-the-field incident. I don't know if he – because Wally grew up in a time where the manager, the, you know, David Johnson, for example, had so much autonomy. And basically, it was, you know, the dugout was yours, and the front office and the players were managed by the general manager, of course, with some input from the manager. But you got your 25 guys, and your manager managed them, and you just had to hope that the GM – made the right moves, and, and maybe listened to you a little bit. It's not like that anymore. Front office wants a certain philosophy. They look at the manager as an extension of the front office, and if Wally Backman doesn't necessarily fit somebody who is going to sit around and say, well, you can't play somebody here. I think it was uh, earlier in spring when there was some uh, talk about Terry Collins putting Lagares in left instead of center to keep like Cespedes in center and Right away, you heard things like the front office is not going to allow that to happen. Well, technically, the manager has, should have the autonomy to make that decision. So, um, you know, that, that, that's really what it comes down to. I think Wally Backman, uh, as much as I'd like to see him manage, and I don't think Terry Collins is a great manager. I think he does a lousy job of the bullpen. Let's see. He's got a lot of weapons in that bullpen, how he does this year. Um, let's see how that works. But um, I, I really think Wally Backman is going to be someone they look at to develop players, you know, be the AAA manager, maybe one day be a bench coach, which I, I've heard Wally doesn't want to do that. He'd rather just get a managerial uh, gig. But uh, I don't know if it's in the cards for him uh, to be uh, Terry Collins' replacement, whether it be that Terry gets fired before his contract's up or retires. Now that you have Dick Scott on the staff, you've heard that Dick Scott is the heir apparent. I don't know. So I, I agree with you. I'd like to see Wally get a shot. I just don't think it's in the DNA of this front office. Now, Sandy Alderson, you know, hopefully he stays healthy for his own you know, nobody, you know, he's got cancer, and nobody wants to see him uh, have to step down because of health reasons, but nothing is forever. And Paul DePodesta is no longer in the organization. That was somebody that uh, really, from what I understood, was a driving force behind Collins coming in. Uh, you never know what happens as uh, Sandy moves out of this thing in the next couple of years. 
and Terry retires or what have you, and, and things could change. And I, I, I believe from what I understand that Jeff Wilpon is a big Wally fan. So ultimately the owner could say, hey, I want him as the manager, and there's not a heck of a lot anybody can do. So um, let's see. Anything else that we can um, – uh, go through here. Um, no, looks like that's uh, uh, it. Uh, but you know, interesting stuff here. I appreciate the questions. There were some really good ones, and uh, keep them coming. You know, I definitely want to uh, keep this thing going. Um, we'll take a quick break, and I will wrap up right after this. Now Rivera brings the hands together. Runners take a lead at all three bases. One, two to Franco. Line drive, base hit in the right field. Henderson scores. Here comes Alfonso. Here comes O'Neill. score to the plate. Alfonso slides. He's safe. The Mets win it. The Mets win it. Matt Franco with a line drive, single to right, and he's being mobbed by his teammates. Matt Franco, a two-run single off Mariano Rivera in the bottom of the ninth inning, and the Mets win it 9-8. to eight. An incredible ball game at Chase Stadium, capped off by the fifth comeback of the day. The Mets win it in their final turn at bat. The Yankees had won 124 straight games when they led after eight innings. And just as they did to Trevor Hoffman earlier this year, the Mets come through again and snap the streak. Matt Franco with an enormous hit, a line drive single to right. Scoring Henderson and Alfonso, who made the slide to beat the throw by O'Neill, and the Mets have taken the first two of the series from the Yankees. There's only one thing better than a walk-off win, and that's listening to the Talking Mets podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, and you can join me every week for an unbiased and passionate opinion of the latest happenings with Mets baseball. Guests include beat writers, journalists, influential bloggers, as well as former and current players. You never know who's going to show up. Check out the latest shows and archive at MetsmorizedOnline.com. All right, wrapping up here. Closing it out on this uh, Sunday, April the 10th. Again, uh, check me out every week. Uh, Just to give you guys a little bit real quick, every Sunday you should get uh, an episode of the podcast. If there's a night game, typically it'll be in the morning. If there's a day game, it'll be sometime in the evening. So keep going to MetsmorizedOnline.com and uh, check it out. And we're going to do everything on archive right now. You can check it out on the iTunes store. Yes, I know the logo in the iTunes store is not up to date. Working on that, iTunes has some kind of process where it takes, you know, 45, you know, day, I don't know, 45 days, but they, they take a long time to get through their bureaucracy. It used to be like, you know, snap of a finger, but, you know, apparently that's the case. But everything is there, you know, you subscribe. Yeah, you might get some old episodes from my old show as part of it, but those will be vetted out over, over the next few weeks. Every week you get one episode, basically weekly, weekly recap. We'll do a, a featured guest, hopefully. Depends on who it is and what's going on, and then we'll take some of the questions. And I thought that worked out pretty well, so I enjoyed that. And you guys had some great comments, and it really gave me some things to think about it also gives me the pulse of what's going on in the community. So, you know, ultimately, if you do this show, I want you guys to enjoy it, listen to it. It's got to be about what you guys are talking about, what you guys are thinking. Hopefully, I can give you something to think about. And, uh, you know, I've been doing this for eight years, um, and I've done a lot of baseball. And I've been lucky enough to be around a lot of people that I've learned a lot of baseball from. So hopefully, I can bring that to the podcast. And, uh, you know, subscribe, go on to MetsMarriesOnline.com. And uh, go to the Talking Mets, uh, a little link at the top, subscribe, and we should be ready to rock and roll. Hey, 
that's all the time we have right now. I want to thank Howard Altman, New York Observer, howardaltman.me. Check him out if you're interested in some of his other work. Of course, as always, you can check me out on Twitter at MikeSilverMedia. Send me a note on my personal website, MikeSilverMedia.com. And go to MetamorizeOnline.com. Check it out. Go to the iTunes store. Subscribe. And I'll see you guys next week.